Hey everybody, I am excited to have Phil for the Product Led Podcast. Uh, he works at Seven Shifts and we are going to be talking all about Product Qualified Leads. The concept of Product Qualified Leads is such a mystery for a lot of people. They like, what is it? Is it MQL? Is it what exactly is this? And Phil has implemented, him and his team has implemented this PQL concept for Seven Shifts that Wes told me we need to get him on a show just to talk about this. How's it going, Phil? How are things with you this morning? Things are great. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, it's nice and early, and I'm an early riser, so all I need is a is a cup of coffee, and I'm I'm ready to go. And you are calling from Alberta, right? Like or Edmonton or Calgary? I don't remember. Saskatchewan, right? Oh yeah, third time's a charm. Up in Saskatchewan, <laughs> Saskatoon, Canada. Yeah, we're we're way up north. It's it's getting cold up here, real quick. Oh shoot! Uh, same here. It's, I'm based out of Toronto, Canada, and it's raining and snow is coming. Not looking. Forward to that. <laughs> it is coming. Yeah, that, that means the, the snow is coming. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Winter, winter is coming, so to speak. Give it yes. Stop. <laughs> Just to warm things up, I love asking questions that are not related in the first you know, the first time around to what we're going to be talking about. You said that you love taking road trips with your wife. I'm sure there's a lot to see where you're at, like what's been your favorite road trip so far ever, or maybe even, you know, ever. And also maybe this year since things went down with COVID. Well, we definitely haven't been traveling since COVID. We're trying to, trying to stay safe. Makes sense. But uh, <laughs> in the past, we usually head out West or head South. And so I'm, I'm actually um, an American living up in Canada. Oh. And, and my wife is taking uh, her master's at Boise state in Idaho. So we actually end up doing a lot of road trips down to Idaho <laughs> But it's a very beautiful state. Uh, actually, there's lots of lots of nature to take in there. But I'm looking forward to our trip this winter. We're going out to Banff and big ski trip with a bunch of friends too. So looking forward to that one. How far is Idaho, Boise, Idaho from that drive? Is it long? Well, it depends on how well conditioned you are for road trips. But it's about 18 hours. I've done it in one trek before. That was a long, long day. But usually break it up into, into two-day trips. Really interesting. Well, I should make that trip. Not one go. That's great. That's crazy. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you need two drivers for sure. <laughs> I figured. I want to shift now and, and talk about product-led growth. And I'm curious, what's the journey been for Seven Chefs? Have you, have you guys always been product-led? Or did you start off like going sales-led? You had a sales team and then you went to product-led. What's that journey been like for the Seven Chefs? Yeah, so we're very fortunate to be a, a younger startup, and I, I would say definitely the evolution of qualified leads has, you know, started with sales qualified leads, moved to marketing qualified leads, and now, as you probably kind of have picked up on, there's there's a big shift moving to product qualified leads and what that means, and kind of that defining itself over different companies trying different things. And so I would say Seven just started probably somewhere in between a marketing qualified lead and a, and a product qualified lead. You know, there's an important amount of qualification needs to happen for leads before they even get to our product and kind of fine tuning that. That was probably been with with seven shifts since day one. But there's always been the the kind of product sells itself mentality across many of our teams and the representation of of kind of our growth team, which is comprised of you know our sales and marketing and, and those other departments. But the primary focus is those teams learning from kind of the product and, and the leads that are engaging with the product and, and engaging with those ones primarily. So it's the product informing our growth team, which is kind of the best opportunities to help get over the finish line. When you say that you started off with SQL, then MQL, like did you have a sales team from the beginning and that's when this whole product-led PQL stuff moved in? Or like 
Is that does shift this happen? Well, our, our sales team has always been an inbound sales team. So we oh, do okay. have an outbound sales team and they're more uh, focused on, you know, mid-market uh, restaurant opportunities and enterprise as well. But we primarily, our, our business focus is right now SMBs, you know, mm. restaurants, you know, seven shifts, restaurant scheduling. That's right in the name. Our team is very inbound focused. So it's a lot of data informing these teams on which leads they should be chasing. So that's, that's what I mean, kind of out of the box. Mm. We've been kind of somewhere in between, you know, MQL and PQLs. Can you talk a little bit more about that journey? What was the trigger that made your team, the seven shifts team, realize, hey, you know, SQL is not working, MQL is not working. We need to look at PQL. And I'm sure you were probably not calling it PQL at that point. You were just like, there's some engagement here that we need to take a look at. What was that trigger to say, hey, this is original stuff that we had, like SQL, MQL, isn't what, there's more to it than meets the eye. It actually happened earlier this year um, before COVID. We realized that we were kind of doing PQL beforehand and we kind of had a simple way of measuring and informing our our sales team, hey, go go check out this lead. It was fairly automated, that, that kind of first system that we had. But after that, earlier this year, we realized that all the sales team really wants is, you know, the best quality leads. They want to be the most efficient with their time. And so they don't want to be calling someone that's not going to answer. They don't want to be trying to engage with someone that's not really wanting to engage with the product and hasn't really understood the value of the product from both the value positioning, but also experiencing it and getting their hands on. And so the sales team realized that those are the leads and and our demand gen team realized those are the leads we want to keep funneling. And really what they were looking for is just product qualified leads, the leads that have understood the value of the product and transitioned to engaging and using the product, and then just needing a little bit of a nudge or guidance to actually get them over the finish line. And so earlier this year, we started kind of a, a product growth team to kind of spool up and improve those experiences more holistically from that kind of initial landing on seven shifts seeing us for the first time, starting a trial with us, engaging with those experiences. When we spooled up that team, we started to realize there's more to this mm. that meets the eye that we can actually get deeper with with a lot of our, our data and do a better job of surfacing you know, deeper product qualified leads for our sales team for them to engage with. You're kind of leading that towards already. For listeners who like, you know, it's just another new term. What has been the benefits of like that product growth team defining PQL? And you were already talking about now the sales probably are, the close rate is higher for PQLs. Like what are some of the benefits that your team saw once you've defined that and you're actually using that PQLs? Yeah, so it's interesting because I think the terminology right now is what we're trying to, mm. to kind of iterate on because our growth team called them tier one leads. Oh. And on the product side, we call them product qualified leads. It's the same thing. It's just nomenclature at this point. I really don't care what we call yeah, them. True. I want to grow our business, right? So they realized, yeah, these kind of tier one leads or these PQLs, they convert at an astronomically high rate. And so their mindset is, I want to convert leads into paying customers. And when they realized that, they're like, what can we do on our team to drive more tier one of leads. these tier one leads yeah. or product qualified leads? And that was kind of the insight catalyst in combination with us spooling up that team to realize there's a lot we can do on the product to help our sales team in terms of getting those leads, the ones that were not yet those tier one leads, getting them to become those product qualified leads faster and quicker. Mm -hmm. And what can we do in that trial experience? It's a 14-day trial that we have. 
how can we get them instead of waiting until week two, where a lot of those kind of tier one leads crop up, how can we get them to value faster and getting them to understand value faster? And that started earlier on. There was already a catalyst of us kind of iterating on our PQL measurement. It was kind of a simple measurement. And now it's, it's a bit more robust with, with even some more um, machine learning in there as well. Damn. Okay. Machine learning. We're going to get there. <laughs> tier one leads. What, <laughs> all right. So the sales team are like, man, this tier one leads are ghosting astronomically higher. Did the product growth team give them that data or they were just starting notice uh, one, like somebody from the sales team started noticing some kind of pattern or like, was it the sales leader who like realized like this is a tier one lead and they're ghosting a lot higher. Like who gathered the data to figure out that what a tier one lead is essentially. Uh, it was actually our growth team uh, oh. a couple of years ago that they were well, uh, you know, ahead of the curve and realizing that there's certain things that can happen within the product that help them be more efficient in how they close deals, right? It's kind of the natural essence of kind of like a, a capitalist economy of just like finding new ways to be efficient and improve. And they found that as they identified specific criteria, it made it easier for them to actually identify which leads are worth a salesperson's time to actually engage with and, and um, have a conversation to, to get them to, to purchase. Fascinating. So I want to get there. I know we've been going around what a tier one lead is, but how was the, the first iteration of tier one leads or PQL? What was that? Like, was it a combination of logins or like what specific engagement did you define tier one lead? Yeah, so it was definitely well before my time. So I'm getting a lot of this information secondhand. The onset was just a lot of like sources. We just had higher performing sources of leads. And those were kind of like, that was like the infancy of kind of tier one leads. We were exploring early on, like new lead sources, different paid channels. And the sales team just knew certain channels just performed really, really well. Our organic channel has always performed really, really well. And uh, that was kind of the first iteration. But after that, it was like, okay, we're starting to get a lot of leads and there's not enough salespeople to reach out to the majority of them. What can we do here? And so before my time, there was kind of a couple of critical pieces that were identified. We do have a bit of an onboarding wizard. And so it was an action of completing that wizard mm. because some people can, you know, land in that wizard and say, you know what, I'm not a restaurant. Our positioning is very strong on restaurants. A non-restaurant could use our scheduling, but they could go, you know, I'm not really interested in, in actually being using a scheduling product for, for restaurants if I'm not right, you know, vertically aligned with, with being a restaurant. So that's the first part that... The next part, which is pretty critical to scheduling, is adding an employee. So we tracked that very closely in our sales tracking tools. Has this lead added an employee in their account yet? They've already created the account. Have they added that? It's a really integral part. And we learned that early on um, with that product growth team. It's how can we get them to add those employees mm. as soon as possible? And the next one is creating a shift, which we didn't really care if they made it for themselves or for that employee. But that's a really integral part. You know, a lot of restaurants are coming from Excel. And so we wanted, or we noticed a correlation that when they created and saw the ease of use of our product, it's like, oh, it's just like my Excel spreadsheet. That was kind of like a, a mental model for them to think about kind of mentally converting to a, to a software service for their scheduling system. And the second last one that we tracked was publishing a schedule. And that's a really, really important step because the value of our product is definitely and fundamentally a communication tool right? It's one thing to create a schedule, but it's another thing of the ease of use of just sharing that schedule with your team. A lot of people print it and post it. And then there's swaps that happen on the piece of paper in the back office, and it's just really messy. And so that showcases the value of how easy it is to make changes, update mm -hmm. your team, update your staff. And the last one is inviting someone. 
So it was just inviting somebody. That one wasn't like a mandatory, but it was definitely inviting somebody. And so the team was activated on kind of these criteria. It wasn't like they had to have five of them. It was just that if they had five of them, they were a pretty hot lead. They've already, you know, seen the value of seven shifts. They came in, they tried it, right? They poked around, they kicked the tires. And that was an important kind of initial onset of just kind of like check boxes that the team was chasing down. Mm. Really fascinating. So there's just a checkbox thing. What was the next iteration? Did you like weight each action? Like maybe somebody who invited the colleague is a more valuable action than setting up a schedule. Like what was the next iteration? Like I want to get to adding machine learning. That's that's what I'm really curious about. Well, what is the next iteration of that definition? Yeah, so uh, we've been very data-first company, and so we hired data people really early on. Some of them are still with us, which is exciting. They're, they're really engaged in, and passionate about you know the product and the market that we serve, restaurants. And you know, I'm also a kind of a data-driven product manager, and so if I would have been around, I probably would have been like, guys, we can automate and wait this, and actually have a computer just tell us which ones are <laughs> the best leads, right? Like, why are we doing all of the handpicking? Like computers can do all this work. They can do the heavy lifting. So that was actually the next iteration. Mm. And it was uh, kind of the first iteration was out when I started last year. And it was really just a, a simple kind of algorithm that looked at this criteria and said, okay, you know, in the relationship to time during trial, like if yeah. someone does all five of these early on, and then it looks at their conversion and then says, okay, like these cohort of customers that do this really quickly convert really, really well. And what it spits out is essentially just like a weighted scoring. And wow. now those kind of tier one, tier two, tier three lead structure is just defined by that score from that algorithm. There's other things that play into it, uh, definitely, but that score helps them define, okay, this lead has only started a trial two days ago, but they have a score of 70. They've done all this stuff already. And so then the sales team has automated campaigns set up now that kind of bring those warm touches, whether through intercom or email to kind of introduce themselves. And then even SMS, we use SMS actually quite successfully as well. And so those kind of warm touches then lead into that salesperson actually getting in contact with that lead. And, and usually those ones that kind of have 70 plus very, very high conversion rate, regardless of when that waiting happens. So that machine is constantly analyzing all the behavioral data and I'm implementing more. I'm, I'm really big into having product analytics and really robust coverage. That system's just gobbling up that information and kind of picking up on really weird nuances that we would have never picked up on if we tried to keep you know, iterating and defining it ourselves. Mm. I have so many follow-up questions to that. Uh, I mean, is the algorithm, was that like you just found like a formula online? And like, is that a homegrown are you using a tool to weigh that like time and how early from the sign up point did they do a very valuable task? Like, they, yeah, I'm curious. Like, is that a tool or is that something that you just somebody coded in in Python or Rails or something? Yeah, it's homegrown. Oh. We have some great data people, really, really smart folks. And the system is a bit of a black box for me. It's, it's a little too, little too technical for me. <laughs> But uh, it's very accurate now. We've we've iterated on it enough and we've had enough leads come through. You know, tens of thousands of leads have come through since kind of spawning this kind of machine-driven kind of analysis of what's a qualified lead. Interesting. It's pretty dang good now. Really fascinating. And the other question I have is, now I'm hearing you have a score. Like I'm guessing it's out of 100. Where do you store that? I'm sure that that's one thing that you want to make sure is that the team has visibility to it. Do you send it to Intercom? Do you send it to 
your CRM? Like, where does that get sent to once that score's created? Right now, it's sent to Salesforce. So we do store okay. ourselves and we can kind of put it wherever we want. But we sent we we pipe mm-hmm. it into Salesforce, and that's where a lot of our sales team are doing their you know their day to days is inside that tool. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And so it's now sent to Salesforce. Does the sales team have a report, like a daily report? Like here are the top, <laughs> the top, what do you call that number? PQL? Yeah, they do have a hit list. Yeah, they, oh, they list, do okay. review it. I'm not intimately, you know, aware of kind of their day-to-day and their functions, but they do definitely have a, a hit list. And we've also taken this approach to converted customers as well. So we've started applying just some simple machine learning of folks that are already paying customers, engaging with a lot of the paywalls. And then we then surface that up to another department, which is focused on customer expansion, our customer success team. So we do some machine learning there that also showcases, you know, hey, this customer is engaged with these four or five paywalls. They actually would be a good candidate for this plan. Go check them out. And, you know, we kind of track that behavior, you know, whether our customers like it or not, it actually helps us be a better vendor for them yeah. to actually understand, like, what are you engaging with, whether it's on trial or already a customer looking for, for new ways or new problems to be solved from us. Really fascinating. You might not, you know, I'm also curious, like, what is that threshold where like a lead becomes a valuable, a tier one lead is, um, now that you have this core, is it when they hit that 70 mark or like, is it like when get over 50, what is that threshold when somebody becomes super valuable for seven shifts? It's around like the 70 mark when it Mm -hmm. starts to, you know, the 60, 70 mark. The thing that's probably become more frustrating for us now that it's quite a bit of a black box is when we make changes to certain levels of friction within their onboarding experience or within their trial experience when they first interact with the product, it actually makes it a bit more difficult to actually measure scientifically mm. what impact that change had. Because it's such a black box, it's, you know, I, I always call it this conversion soup <laughs> because you can't really see the, the, the individual pieces that's actually creating the value that you want. And so that's one thing that we've started to realize is you can't just lean on this score. You have to, like, this score is a really great indicator, but there's definitely things just as a human being you can use with your own recognition to say, like, you know, it came from this lead source, they have this score, this is some of their behaviors, we do have some automation, but it's definitely not enough to make a, or to run a test and say, oh, this test increased, you know, mm. the weighted score by 10% and therefore it's, it's actually... A scientific improvement, it's it's more of a black box, which I think is what we're encountering right now is is kind of making changes and, and measuring those uh, yeah. effectively. That's a good lead up to the other question I am curious about is like, I'm sure you're have some idea of what the next iteration of this is. Like, is this the final version of this core? I'm guessing not. <laughs> and if it's not, well, what would you like to see? And you, you talked a little bit about, you know, being able to track changes, but what are some changes that you'd like to see or something that your your team is looking at? One thing that I would like to see us expand, yeah, we're never done improving. That's, mm. that's definitely an agile <laughs> mindset. And so one thing I'd love to see is us actually doing a better job of the actual output of the analysis. Right now, it's just oh. a score. But I'd love for us to actually start bucketing yeah, and start targeting personas as well. Yeah. We're starting to see different personas sign up. Especially with COVID, we've seen kind of a, a change in the type of customer that's most attracted to our product, still restaurants, um, but just different kind of types of restaurants. And so the score actually being aware of those personas. And so we're, we're starting to capture more of that additional data, like what other technology they use in their restaurant, wow. what type of restaurant they are. Sure. So we want to actually pull that in and start to actually kind of create some personas. I, I think Intercom and, and AppCuse both do this as well. They kind of say, 
you know, here's some cohorts of customers. I, I think this machine could actually spit out, you know, these different buckets and say this type of customer with these type of attributes, and this is their current probability of uh, converting. So something a bit more exposed for the sales team, because right now, it, and for us as well in the product team, because it's a little bit too much of a black box at this point. Mm. Uh, so we kind of want to pull back the layers and provide a bit more visibility and, and kind of human aspects to the output to be more efficient. Mm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Like having the different personas, you know, you've been in this journey trying to you know, define this PQL now that it has machine learning. I'm curious what you would tell yourself a year ago in this journey that you wish you knew back then. And I'm sure it's like you know, hindsight is 2020, but like, what would you yeah. what would you tell yourself a year ago if you can like go back in time and just say, you know what, this you need to consider this, or you should avoid this. I would say in theory, PQL makes a lot of sense and everyone's aligned with it. But in practice, it's quite difficult mm. to implement and get buy-in. I would say oh. that's probably the number one thing I would I would take away looking back on myself from you know a year ago. Interesting. Let's talk about the buy-in. I, I haven't really even thought about it. I assume that the whole team was like all for this, but like you're right, it's a black box and people are like, mm, this is really work. But like what's the journey behind that buy-in from the team with, with PQL at Seven Chefs? Part of it, I think, is just the naming convention itself. The, mm. the funny thing is, is it's just like, it's product driving the, the business, but really we're just here to get the customer to value as soon as we possibly can. And it is still our sales team that's doing a lot of the heavy lifting. And so I give them a lot of recognition, a lot of kudos for actually moving the needle for our business. And really, we're just trying to automate as much as, I, as I'm trying to automate as much as I can for yeah. them to make their job as easy as possible. And so I think that's kind of the, the fundamental change is that this is something that's coming out of product. And it's always, it's just one more thing, you know, being a product led organization is just one more thing that the product team is trying to take over. And it really isn't, <laughs> you know, it, it's something that we've been doing for a long time. It's just you know, having a shared understanding of what it means and what it represents and how do we iterate it on that kind of definition because, you know, making a change can impact our top of funnel pretty substantially and yeah. making a change on top of funnel can impact us on our product side as well, you know, with lead sourcing and, and how that algorithm performs. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question around like communication between product and sales. Does the product and sales at Seven Shifts, do you have like formal meetings where you would review maybe algorithm or quality of the score I know bi-weekly or monthly basis or it's just more of like you're always actually talking to each other where it's very ad hoc and you're you know just sharing information with each other yeah it, it honestly has depended between the different seasons of seven shifts and how we've grown it's changed over time as of right now we've been very focused on on our kind of independent spaces with covid we've been really laser focused on what can we do for our customers to best serve them on the product side? And sales has been really focused on like, how can we drive more opportunities for our team? You know, with, with COVID restaurants are, are hesitant. And so our, our growth team is trying to roll out kind of new strategies that help that traffic of leads, you know, keep that trend coming. That totally makes sense. I'm just about to start wrapping up and just two final questions. The first one is we've talked a lot about PQL and product led. If you had to like summarize it could be our conversation, but it could be about anything about a product or, or business. If you had one or two pieces of advice to product-led companies or businesses right now, and it, like I said, it could be about what we talked about or about anything that you can think of that you would give advice to product-led companies, what would those one or two pieces of advice be? 
Yeah. The two that I would have is number one, it's a mindset. It's an organizational and cultural mindset. It's not just some framework. Mm. And second, start small. Mm. So the mindset is really, really important because I've chatted with some folks that are really having to overcome being a, a very sales driven organization. And the transition to something like a PQL is a very foreign concept. And so getting that mindset is a very difficult process. And it's one that takes time. It's not like all of a sudden you can change an entire business about how they measure something like an entire department, how they measure kind of their, their overall success. So you have to get that mindset and that buy-in from, especially your, your executive leaders in the organization for really to take effect. And it's, and it's going to take time. And it really segues into, into the second one, which is starting small. You know, what's the smallest thing that you can start tracking if, you, if you're really wanting to implement product qualified leads? What's the smallest thing you can start tracking and show the teams that maybe are skeptical the value of what this kind of new way of measuring leads actually produces? And so even if it's starting scrappy and pulling some data and putting it in a spreadsheet and saying, hey, the leads that did this one thing in the product actually had a significantly higher conversion rate and showing some of those data points because getting that mindset buy-in, you know, I've, I've learned executives, they talk in data and they talk in money. And so mm. if you can talk in both, it's wow. very compelling. And so start small, see what you can do and go from there. That's good. Talk data and talk money. I love that. I'm going to use, I'm going to yeah. do that later today. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and one final question, where can people find out more about you? If you have a LinkedIn that you want people to add you or Twitter, if they have more questions or in, where, where can people find out more about seven shifts if they want, if they wanted to check it out? Yeah. If they want to check out seven shifts, we're at sevenshifts.com. Sign up for a, a trial and let me know how it goes. For me, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm really active on LinkedIn. Both of them are PC Corson. C-O-R-S-O-N. Really easy to find me. Not too many Phil courses out there. So uh, <laughs> pretty easy to find me. <laughs> that's good. That's good. It's, it's funny you say that Wes Bush is such a common name that uh, he couldn't get specific emails and even some of his Twitter yeah. accounts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could see that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time, Phil. I really, really do appreciate it. Thanks so much, Ramley. 